everyone. Welcome back to Shay Says. I am so excited to start this episode. But if you have not heard any of the past two episodes, I suggest you stop right now and go back because each episode is a stepping stone into the next one. So in our last episode, we spoke with Dr. Park and Dr. Morling on how we strive for high self-esteem. We actually get unlikely outcomes in return. Along with that, we talked about how we are trying to make ourselves feel better or make our friends or family feel better and raise their self-esteem, and then we don't get the outcomes that we expect. So this episode is a lot more positive, I promise, and I brought back Dr. Morling to discuss different ways that we can actually get the outcomes that we want. So I want to say thank you for Dr. Morling for coming back. I cannot steer you away from this podcast, and you're a really great asset in the last episode. Hi, Shay. It's so great to be here again. I'm really happy to be helping you out with this really important project. And I've honestly taken a lot of this stuff from you, so honestly, you've been a huge influence on me. Thank you for your class. I loved it. So... If we are not striving for high self-esteem, as we talked about with Dr. Park, what do we strive for to not get the cost on that pursuit? That's great. And I think this is something that a lot of psychologists are interested in because we have figured out, I think, that when we pursue self-esteem, a lot of costs do incur. And that's what uh, Dr. Park was talking about. So there have been some models, but one of the models that I think is really powerful is one by Kristen Neff, and she has developed this idea called self-compassion, which is based in her reading of actually traditional Buddhist philosophies, um, but it's really something that can speak to all of us. So self-compassion is a process that might be a good substitute for self-esteem pursuit. I really liked looking at this model from Kristen Neff, and I liked definitely the three components that she put within self-compassion. So there's self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So I know that self-kindness is where you speak to yourself as a friend, and I know that's like the most basic way to explain it, but that's the best way I remember. Neff has those three components that you mentioned, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Each one of those has like an opposite. So it's helpful sometimes to know what something isn't to help to know what it is. And the opposite of self-kindness might be self-judgment. So a self-judgment might be when we say to ourselves, that was bad, or you just were really stupid there. Or even a self-judgment could also be, that was the best, you are the best. Those are both you know, positive or negative judgments um, have a lot of baggage. And self-kindness is instead just being warm and saying sometimes you don't get what you want. Sometimes things are frustrating. Um, and we just have to accept that. <laughs> and so that's, that's really simple in a way. It's very profound and very simple. So that's the self-kindness piece. Going from self-kindness to common humanity, I remember that actually someone brought up an idea that if you have one thing, it helps you lead into the next one. 
That is a great point. And I think Neff would say it's kind of like a Venn diagram where they all interact. So I think of these three components as three circles that are all overlapping in almost a triangle. So yeah, common humanity does sound a lot like self-kindness um, for good reason. So common humanity is about sort of taking a step back and thinking everyone suffers and everyone makes mistakes. This is what it means to be a human person, to be vulnerable, to be imperfect. Um, and part of self-compassion just means recognizing that this is part of what we all share. So when something bad happens to us, one way, you know, again, the opposite of common humanity, it helps to understand what it's not, which is isolation. Yes. And isolation is like, why me? Why does this stuff always happen to me? Um, it's sort of this solipsistic or like self-centered idea of like, I'm the only one who suffers. <laughs> but in contrast, common humanity is like, we all suffer and we all have, you know, we all have difficult moments and we all have struggles and you're not special <laughs> which sounds funny from an american perspective but like it actually is very liberating like you know what you're right we are all there are other people that probably are suffering more than me and that has your own perspective that makes you just feel warm and like loving toward the world it's, it's a really powerful approach yeah, this this one, it resonates with me the most. I am the epitome of saying this only happens to me. Why me? And after reading this multiple times, and I realized it was talking about myself. I was like, okay, I really should. I should take a step back and realize everyone does deal with things and it's not just me and I should try to be a lot kinder to myself. So I really like the next part, which was mindfulness and mindfulness versus over identification where we just have to be a lot more present in the moment. I, like what would the over identification be if you're thinking about things over mm -hmm. and over? Is that what that Right. Sometimes people think of rumination as being the opposite of mindfulness. Rumination is about kind of getting caught up in your maybe anxieties or depressive thoughts and also believing them, <laughs> taking them very seriously, thinking about how they're true and not really making any progress, like spinning wheels in the mud is kind of how I think about that over-identification, that rumination. But mindfulness is a way of paying attention to our thoughts, but not getting caught up in them. So it's not about saying, uh, trying to avoid the feelings that we might be having. It's about taking a stance towards those feelings where we might think about them as um, the metaphor that we often use is they're like pieces of wood that are drifting down a stream and just pass us by. So we may observe our own thoughts and feelings as if they're these things, and we're not trying to ignore them really, but we're also not getting all caught up and following them down the street. We may have the, we may talk to ourselves, and mindfulness practice might include things like, I'm having the thought that this is a catastrophe, <laughs> right? And that's different from saying, this is a catastrophe. Yes. And I know another mindfulness practice that I was able to see at one of my internships was 
to not judge your day. And it just was so simple to not use a judging word, but I've realized that we all do it. When we say, hi, how are you? And then we just immediately say, I'm having a bad day. All right, thank you <laughs> before our call. I was like, I'm just having a day. Like to just not judge your day. And I think really trying to switch that could really help as well. You can say like, I'm having the thought that this is a bad day. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? I feel as if my lunch was not that good. Like just little things. <laughs> I loved it. I loved this, um, this model that Kristen Neff has. So now going into different perspectives on negative experiences, I really like the paper with Cross and Aduck about self-reflection as well as finding meaning in negative experiences. So I know that they had discussed the concept of self-distancing and self-immersed perspectives where again, you in a self-distancing perspective, you remove yourself from experiencing the rejection where with self-immersion, we kind of go back into the thought of believing, why does this have to happen to me? Why does this always have to happen to me? Could you explain a little bit more about those perspectives? Yeah, and I think that most of your listeners will see some parallels too with the mindfulness approach, right? Mindfulness versus over-identification. So, right, when we think about, when we reflect on ourselves, we have often we can make a lot of progress and we can really process our feelings and experiences and that's a really healthy thing to do. We can make meaning out of things that are difficult when we reflect and that's what um, psychotherapists are trained to help us do. But another thing that sometimes happens when we reflect on ourselves is we just start to ruminate and we do the spinning wheels, the mud, the spin, like a car that's stuck in the mud. And so Cross and Adek are trying to explain, like, why is it that sometimes when we self-reflect, we make progress and we make meaning out of situations. And other times when we self-reflect, we get kind of just caught up in this cycle where we never make any progress. We just relive the misery of whatever it is. They said, well, one of the things that makes a difference is self-distancing. So that is the idea of trying to focus on yourself, but take a third person perspective. So they might say, imagine you're a fly on the wall watching this event that happened to you. Um, and self-immersed perspective is when you might just relive all of the thoughts and feelings as if you were happening for the first time, sort of from an internal perspective. Always really connected this with if someone had a really bad breakup and they like to describe this breakup as they are the ones that ruined this for me, they couldn't handle it, they couldn't do this. Does that kind yeah. of go with having a self-immersed perspective? Right, that's exactly right. That sounds like what, like if you're really still angry about um, that your partner breaking up with you, your ex-partner, and all you can do is just relive that anger and you've never really made progress about yeah. it. You're just stuck there, right? And that's not a very healthy or pleasant place to be. So how would you think of it as like self-distance? Yeah, I think um, if you had a self-distance perspective, you might start to see things a little bit more objectively or maybe a little less defensive. Um, you may even, sometimes in the studies, they ask people to tell a story that happened to them, but don't use the first person pronouns, use third person pronouns. As if it's somebody else and not you. So that's a very self-distance perspective. And what might happen is you might start to see 
your own role in the breakup. You might also um, be able to recognize things that you could change in your future relationships to make them more effective. So um, those are really good things, right? Those can, yeah. noticing things that we don't do well and um, trying to pr solve problems. And even sort of, that's all about making meaning too about these, you know, breakups are painful and difficult. And if they're just arbitrary, then we feel meaningless and we really suffer. But if we start to see, this is a good relationship for me because I learned um, this about myself or I got beautiful children out of this relationship. These are all great things that help us move forward. And that making, making of meaning seems to be extra possible if we distance. Such a huge thanks to Dr. Morling for really describing these concepts that have truly helped me so much with my everyday life. And this is really different from striving for high self-esteem because we're getting more positive outcomes that we want. Get ready for next episode of more ways we can better ourselves. Thank you guys, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.